Cinema Wellman. I'm your host, David, and another month is in the books. So it's once again time to take a look at the best and worst of the past 29 days. You know, February is so weird because it's got 28 or 29 days. But if it wasn't for leap year, every 750 years, our total everything would be reversed. So, okay, that's fine. We will now once again exclude any movies nominated for a current Oscar since our Oscar ballot will be revealed next week and those films will be covered at that time. We have seven movies to discuss today with three being on the worst side and four being on the best, so that's okay. Uh, Two of the worst were leftovers from my recent monkey binge, so let's start with one of those and, you know, beware of poo flinging. From 2016, it's Monkey Up. I should have known better. I should have not tempted fate and watched one more monkey movie. And this was the last one. And I watched it, and yet here we are. Truth be told, I watched this for Crystal the Monkey and Crystal the Monkey alone I was impressed with her work and the other films I watched her in and watched this one to give it a shot. Unfortunately, they had her speak in this movie and she was voiced by a male. So disappointed. The parents in this movie are absolutely terrible. They make Mr. and Mrs. McAllister from Home Alone look like the parents of the year in comparison. At one point, the father utters the line, and I quote, You mean a talking monkey has been living in my house for months, and I didn't know about it? Yes, that's exactly what I mean, and you are an idiot. And the kids were so bad in this movie. I hate to pick on kid actors, but this acting should never have left the middle school stage. Not for nothing. But all those monkey movies that I watched, and this was the only one that resorted to monkeys flinging poo. Not Crystal's fault. She wasn't one of the flingers, but Monkey Up was a king-sized helping of monkey poo. Next up, I once again get totally screwed by the best original song category It's from 1994, and it's Don Juan DeMarco. My favorite Johnny Depp movies are Ed Wood, Donnie Brasco, Blow, Edward Scissorhands, and A Nightmare on Elm Street. I pretty much dislike every other movie he's ever made. Now that list of many dislikes includes Don Juan DeMarco. It was early on in his career, but this performance included the kind of acting that Depp decided to do in the second half of his career, and I am not a fan. Depp plays the title character, a man presenting himself as the fictional Spanish libertine Don Juan. Marlon Brando, also not a fan, plays the psychiatrist who was brought in to cure Depp. This role, Brando's role, could have been played by two dozen other actors his age. He brings nothing to the table other than his inability to memorize his lines. I guess this is a film about mental health? 
Although I'm not sure the filmmakers cared enough about mental health to make a film that respects it. Next up, the very worst of the month and the last, I promise you for now, of the monkey movies from 1976. It's Ape. There was a scene in this film that absolutely stunned me. I'm approaching 9,000 different films. And I can still be stunned. It's one of the reasons why I love movies so much. But not movies like Ape. I was so shocked by what I saw that I had to take a short video that I then sent to a bunch of people. The reply was basically, the hell are you watching? The film opens with the ape breaking free from his cage on a tanker in the middle of the ocean. He somehow blows up the ship and then wrestles a great white shark for all of some time. The ape is wrestling the shark standing up. I mean, what is he standing on? Is that the shallow part of the middle of the ocean that that tanker was cruising on? Talk about a reflection of real life at the time. This was 1976. A male character at an airport approaches the counter and asks if a female passenger is on a specific flight and he is then given that accurate information just in case, you know, he's stalking her. Remember Joanna Kearns? She played Carol Seaver on Growing Pains. Nice woman from I can tell. Decent actress as well. And she's now also a director. This was her film debut under the name, <laughs> alias, Joanna de Verona. Happy to say that there were better things to come for her. At least she didn't get naked in this mess. I'm sure they asked. This ape destroys shit all over the place, but... He doesn't kill a hang glider and decides instead to play with it like a butterfly landing on his hand. No, I'm not buying that. Here's an example of the quality screenwriting from this film. The press can wait. I'm going to smoke this goddamn cigarette. Wow. An ape is walking through a pasture and steps over a cow which is obviously a plastic toy with a wind-up tail. I knew I was in rarefied air with this movie. They actually mention, they have the nerve to mention King Kong in the movie and on the movie poster. This would be included in a must-see bad movies list if it wasn't for two scenes that made light of rape. Here's a quote. Now remember, Greg, rape her gently. That was played as a joke. That's just disgraceful. And they bring it back again for another laugh. Ugh, just terrible. I rarely read the reviews on IMDb, but I noticed one for Ape, and I have to share it. Here it goes, and I wish I said it first. And I quote, this movie hates you. Oh, two ways about it. It wants to hurt you for seeing it. No notes. 
on to the best of February and prove that my AMC Stubbs A-list membership has been paying off so far. I saw three of the four February best on the big screen with my new enemy, Nicole Kidman. I hate that promo intro so much. If you go to AMC Movies, know that it's 23 minutes after the time that they tell you. It's 23. It's somewhere between 23 and 25. But get there 23 minutes after the post time and you'll miss her. Uh, Make her stop, please. So here we go. Here's the best. First off from 2023, we have Scrambled. I'm always pleasantly surprised when I enjoy a movie for which I am obviously not the intended demographic audience. This comedy, with just enough drama to make me tear up, is about a woman struggling with the idea of freezing her eggs for future use. Leah McKendrick pulls the Citizen Kane here. She wrote it. She directed it. She starred in it. Uh, and it's a semi-autobiographical film that IMDb describes as follows. A 30-something eternal bridesmaid goes on an empowering and often hilarious journey of self-discovery. This film was not made for old white guys, and yet this old white guy thought it was delightful. I guess I was supposed to identify with the young woman's father, played by Clancy Brown, who is close-minded, old-fashioned, and for the most part, unsupportive. Instead, I was open-minded, supportive of Nellie, and sympathized with her as the seemingly endless parade of losers and weirdos she has to choose from shows they are anything but desirable. I can only imagine how difficult it is for women these days who are looking for a normal person to share their life with, only to be creeped out uh, and creeped on by rando after rando with off-putting personalities and more baggage than the lost luggage counter at Spirit Airlines. Sending you positive energy, ladies. Be careful out there. Next up is a horror-comedy romance movie. Of all things. All those romance movies, are they getting to me? From 2024, it's Lisa Frankenstein. IMDb tells us, quote, Ah, coming of rage love story about a teenager and her crush who happens to be a corpse. After a set of horrific circumstances bring him back to life, the two embark on a journey to find love, happiness, and a few missing body parts. Catherine Newton, who I loved in Freaky, plays Lisa, while her dead beau is played by Cody from the Disney Channel's old show, The Sweet Like of Zack and Cody, it's Cole Sprouse. I have not seen Cole since my daughters watched that show. It's unwatchable. And I think he does an excellent job as the reanimated corpse, and I mean that. It's a nonverbal role, and Sprouse does a commendable job displaying emotion through his grunting and uh, his, and the movements of his decayed face and body. They never really explain how he gets reanimated, but I seem to forgive that rather easily. 
First-time director Zelda Williams, Robin's daughter, does a good job in this campy comedy set in 1989. Zelda was in good hands since this was written by Diablo Cody. Juno, uh, keep writing Diablo. Carla Gugino is deliciously hateful as Lisa's stepmother, Janet. And I love the little reverse girl gets hot by removing glasses trope by having Lisa become more attractive and popular with her classmates and peers the darker she gets. That was a nice touch. Next up is an animated kids film written by the guy who wrote Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and being John Malkovich. It's from 2024 and it's Orion in the Dark. Yes, Charlie Kaufman wrote a kids movie and it's tremendous. IMDb tells us, quote, a boy with an active imagination faces his fears on an unforgettable journey through the night with his new friend, a giant smiling creature named Dark. John Malkovich not included. Orion is a boy who is afraid of pretty much everything. I wasn't like that when I was younger, but I have to admit he reminded me a lot of my current self. Something Orion is really afraid of is the dark. And when he meets dark, adventure ensues. Good feelings, nice message, etc. It's DreamWorks, people. And it's on Netflix. And it's only 93 minutes. Winner, winner. You should watch it. I enjoyed the characters who accompany dark, and are all part of our nightly sleep. We have sweet dreams, we have insomnia, we have quiet, we have unexplained noises, and we have good old sleep. Each character has a part to play every night, and it was fun seeing Orion going on that adventure with them. He faces his fears and learns that there's really nothing about the dark to be afraid of. Unless there are clowns in the dark, then all bets are off. Okay, there's only one February movie left, and so it must be the best of the best, and it's from 2024, another AMC Stubbs A-list viewing, Argyle. I'm a big fan of action movies, but they're kind of starting to piss me off with how much they ignore science and physics and all of the overall laws of nature. Fight scenes in movies are totally unrealistic and unbelievable. You get hit in the head with a fire extinguisher, you're not getting up. Someone breaks a liquor bottle over your head, you're not getting up. As the fighting has gotten more and more stylized and choreographed, the fights themselves have become more and more unrealistic and almost cartoonish. I'm okay with suspending reality. I've even even softened my stance on that King Kong helicopter sequence. But there's only so much reality I'm willing to suspend And all of this is one of the reasons I enjoyed Argyle so much. Let's see what IMDb has to say. Quote, a reclusive author who writes espionage novels about a secret agent and a global spy syndicate realizes the plot 
of the new book she's writing starts to mirror real life and real world events in real time. Since the reality slash fiction line is being tiptoed across, I suspended a lot of reality in Argyle. I also love the cast. The author is played by the great Catherine O'Hara, and she's supported by Bryce Dallas Howard, Henry Cavill, Dua Lipa, Brian Cranston, Ariana DeBose, and friend of Cinema Wellman Sam Rockwell. It was a tad too long for me at two hours and 19 minutes, but the action sequences were well done, and it was pretty funny. It was especially fun to see O'Hara writing at her desk and seeing things change in real time. My favorite part was an out-of-control and over-the-top fight sequence in which Howard and Rockwell fight off what seems to be hundreds of armed and anonymous henchmen, an action movie staple. I, I loved it. I loved how it purposely did things that were close to impossible in real life, but it is all presented as if it was just some stuff that spies do all the time without any kind of preparation or practice. There are smoke grenades that are tossed to each other and kicked back foot, kicked heel kicked off of it to each other. And in what seems to be an old Busby Berkeley production on acid, this was a great, this was great fun and something I will definitely watch again when it starts streaming somewhere. I think it's going to be Apple because I read that Apple paid $200 million for it. Oh, and Chip the Cat was played by Alfie the Cat, who happens to be owned by Claudia Schiffer. Nice work if you can get it. Well, that's a wrap for our best and worst of the month of February. Never a dull moment here at Cinema Wellman. We hope you're back with us next week when we will unveil our Oscar ballot for the year. I have one more week to see those dozen nominated films that have eluded me so far. Uh, Please tune in to see who Cinema Wellman's official Oscar votes go to. Not that they count at all. Um, And until then, take care. Thank you.